Every season is spooky season in our book. So settle in and prepare to be shook. You are listening to Shook, a comedic podcast about all things paranormal and unexplained. I'm Santa. Hey friends, I'm Amanda. And fun fact, this is our last episode before Christmas for those who celebrate. So happy holidays, everybody. And my other fun fact is you may have seen if you follow us on Instagram that I was recently in a horror short with Amanda from Velvet Moondance and some other friends. And uh, if you watch the short, you know what the significance of this necklace is if you're watching on YouTube. Y'all should go watch that short. Give it some views. Thanks, Hunt. Where can they watch it? On YouTube or something? Because I watched it on Instagram because they posted it on Instagram. So if you want to watch the short, it is season two, episode two of Amanda's horror short series. And her Instagram handle is where you can find the video. It's at Velvet Moon Dance. And it's pretty epic. Everybody involved was super fun, and we've honestly wrapped way sooner than I feel like we should have for all of the special effects that we had to do. So I'm gonna have to go watch some more of those. Oh yeah, episodes and future ones. Yeah. What's your fun fact, Hunty? First of all, I'm just gonna address the fact that my Lars beating art print is crooked again in the frame. In the night is when I noticed it, and it scared me. And so I closed the door to the stew so that I could sleep without being scared. Normally, I have the door to the stew open, and I can just see the lights in the stew from my room. Mm -hmm. But this time, I was like, I don't want to look into the stew. So I closed the door. So I'm scared, and I don't like it. I told you mine fell off the wall, right? Yeah, yeah, I need to I need to rehang mine. I had my Laura's beating art print right here, and I'm just gonna blame this one on the command strips not mm-hmm. holding up their end of the bargain. But what you got going on? Mm-mm, no, ma'am. That's happened twice now. Yep, it's reoccurring, and it goes in the same direction every time. Which honestly, that makes me feel a little bit better, and makes me feel like it could be a physics related issue. The fact that it is tilted in the same direction and maybe it's not a ghost. I would really love to conclude that it isn't a ghost. So stay tuned. I have another fun fact. It's a mutual fun fact between me and Amanda. So we, in in the spirit of Christmas, in the spirit of the holidays, our lovely listener and moderator for the Every Season is Spooky Season Facebook group, Katya sent us each amazing jam-packed packages that were personalized for each of us and emphasized our pets. It was just such a sweet and beautiful, thoughtful, the whole thing was just amazing. Because I I remember when I received it, I, I got home from work late and it was on my doorstep. It was just so exciting. Like, opening because she put two different handmade soaps in there two different shrinky dink keychains that she made uh one of which was of my baby pepper Mm -hmm. and she did a really good job with his face not everybody can capture the essence so good job katya she also included a portrait of me and pepper and then of course the lovely shook sketch that she did in the every season is spooky season facebook group if you're in that group you know, if you know, you know. I've got one. I've got mine right here. Oh, I love that. I Show need to frame us. it. Yeah, basically, it was amazing. And the card was so sweet. It put me more in the mood because I have not, I'm going to be honest with you, I have not been in the holiday spirit like this whole time until I got that. And now I am. That being said, ain't nobody getting a gift, but I'm still in the holiday spirit. Um, I guess before we get started, I also want to apologize to anybody who has been blowing up either the shook dms or my personal dms because i've had back-to-back ailments i got diagnosed with viral tonsillitis which turned into a sinus infection and then i got the stomach bug that's been going around these parts and i am still slowly coming out of that 
and so I have not really been on my phone very much, so I apologize. She's off the grid, trying to get better. And that's on dysentery. And that's on the Oregon Trail. I love your Mothman mug. Might it be foreshadowing for your story? Bitch, it might be. (laughs) That being said, I think it's time we kick this mother trucker off. Yeah, we ought to kick it off. So what story had you shook this week? Okay, I'll tell you. All right, so like I said, it's the last one before Christmas. So the story that had me shook this week is none other than Krampus. I'm going to tell you one thing right now, Hunty. I don't know nothing about Krampus other than that it's an Austrian thing. I, I've i never seen the movie. I've never read any of the folklore. So I'm going in blind. Well, the rumor has it Santa's got a deep dive with a certain famous cryptid after this. So I'm going to try to make this as concise as possible. But I will spill the tea and it will be piping hot. And <laughs> I'm just going to dive right in. So the holiday season, it's typically associated with joy, gift giving, and festive cheer for everyone, right? However, nestled within the heart of Christmas lore, there lies a darker, more mysterious figure, Krampus, who, according to legend, is the son of, and I hope, I, I hope I'm saying his name right, it's very simple, but who knows, the son of Hel, H-E-L, the Norse god of the underworld. Originating from Central European folklore, Krampus serves as the counterpart to the benevolent figure of Santa Claus. So he kind of is like the flip side of Santa. You got Santa who's all ho, 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 and Krampus who's all no, no, no. It's giving like good cop, bad cop kind of situation. Basically, when I was a kid, what my mama would say is if I didn't act right during the year that Santa Claus was going to give me a lump of coal, a.k.a. a lump of coal. So instead of getting a lump of coal, you want to know what's worse than a lump of coal? What? Getting snatched and beaten and, heck, maybe even eaten by Krampus. Oh, shit. Yeah. He wants some Sour Patch Kids. Well, he can have them because I'm not doing sugar. With Krampus, you're going to get something way more sinister than what Santa has to give you if you misbehave. Before I dive more into Krampus versus Santa Claus, I want to tell you about this meme that I found, of course, on Reddit. It's basically a conversation between Santa and Krampus, and it says, 17th century. Santa says, okay, so I'll be Santa, the Christmas hero, and you'll be Krampus, the villain. Krampus says, yes, I love it. What will you do? Santa says, If the kids are good, I'll bring them, like, an orange. Krampus says, perfect. Then if they're bad, I'll kidnap and eat them. Santa says, uh, doesn't that feel disproportionate? Krampus says, what if you put the orange in, like, a large sock? I don't know, but I used to eat those orange-flavored chocolates. Did you ever eat those? Yes, I did. They're so disgusting. Why did I do that? They are kind of gross. But my dad used to always eat them at Christmas time, and he would always be like, you want a piece? And I was like, no. But sometimes I would eat a piece if I was just, like, really having a sweet tooth, and then I kind of liked it. But I would maybe eat one if my blood sugar was low. If my blood sugar was low, I was going to eat a wedge of that. But if not... I'll pass. You have to tell everybody about my blood sugar's low. <laughs> my blood sugar's slow. So we have this inside joke, and I don't honestly even know, like, where it originated, but I just know that, like, my entire life I've been surrounded by random people that would say something along the lines of, my blood sugar's low. I'm going to need me a king-size Reese's. Or, my blood sugar's low. I'm going to need me a Route 44 Dot Coke. (laughs) Like, a lot of times I would be around, like, older people in the South that would say that their blood sugar was low. And then they needed this, like, thing that was not proportionate to Mm -hmm. the blood sugar being low, you know? Like, you don't actually need a king-size Reese's to probably fix that issue. And then you yeah. probably also don't need the Route 44 Dot Coke. You probably don't need either of those items to no. fix that issue. Yeah, it's just kind of making fun of people that do that. And then also the 
my blood sugar slow voice is inspired by Anna Nicole Smith, uh, my queen. So, oh my god, we love it. We that love it. is just an inside joke that is now an outside joke because y'all know about it. So, yeah, we love it. Okay, sorry, y'all, that was quite the derail, but it was definitely worth it if you ask me. My blood sugar slow, that's the name of this episode. I've decided. Before anybody thinks we're ripping on people with diabetes or hypoglycemia, it's fine. It's like rampant in my family and it will probably happen to me. So I'm just bracing for it. I'm just I'm just getting ready to play the part. It's called method acting. Ever heard of it? <laughs> yeah. Shia LaBeouf masterclass. <laughs> right. Just do it. <laughs> so like for the method acting thing, I was literally method acting on this set uh, for the horror short. I was literally playing dead for a while because... It's so much fun for me to practice my ADHD eye exercise where I can unfocus my eyes on command. I love doing that. And that's the best way to look dead. I can do it too. I I didn't know that was a thing. All right. I'm looking at the camera. Oh my God, hunty. That's so scary. It's terrifying. Anyways, so back to Krampus. So like I said, Krampus, he's pretty much a bad dude who likes to go after these children who are misbehaving and causing a ruckus. So the roots of Krampus can be traced back to pre-Christian Alpine traditions in regions like Austria, Germany, and other parts of Eastern Europe. These communities, they would celebrate the winter solstice um, with a bunch of different kinds of rituals and things. And Krampus, who is often depicted as a devilishly horned, um, has a slithering tongue, just a creepy-looking, anthropomorphized goat-human hybrid thing. He became a big part of that lore somewhere along the way. And like you may have said at the beginning, um, Austrian roots, German roots, like it's all from that part of the world. And basically his appearance with the horns and the chains that he allegedly sometimes has, that was all intended to evoke fear in the children who were out here in these streets misbehaving their mom and dad. And it also kind of was representative of the differences of winter, the unpredictable aspects of winter, the, the extreme brightness during the day to the, the super cold, dark nights that begin, at least here in Georgia, at like 5 p.m. It's the worst. So that's pretty much Krampus. Um, But the name Krampus itself is believed to have originated from an old high German word, Krampen, which means claw. This etymology reflects the creature's association with the wild and primal forces of nature. Krampus is commonly portrayed carrying chains, symbolizing the binding of the devil and a bundle of birch branches used to swat naughty children as a form of punishment. Um, yeah, I don't ever want to pick a switch ever again. Thanks. In traditional folklore, Krampus is also a servant of St. Nicholas. Um, in some communities, December 5th, known as Krampusnacht, which on this night, costume individuals will roam the streets participating in these festivities and parades that embody the dual nature of Christmas, the blend of the light and the darkness. And I actually went on Reddit And I found people posting videos of these festivals in Austria, people dressed as Krampus, and they're literally snatching people up. And I just want to read a comment that was posted under one of these videos. So user John Cree posts four years ago, he says, I'm from Austria, and this is pretty common, though highly criticized nowadays. I live near the border to South Tyrol, where this happened. When I was young, Krampus people got drunk and used their anonymity to pay back to people or to hit others without any consequences. This got out of hand and the media started to feature it. Nowadays, more and more Krampus have numbers and they are registered. And alcohol is strictly forbidden on most bigger events. But there are still rural areas where this can happen. Which is freaking crazy. These people just dress up like Krampus and snatch people up and will literally run This guy got snatched, and he said that he got ran probably, like, 500 kilometers, whatever. I don't know. Got ran a long way. That's traumatizing. And are they um, doing this to actual children or just, like, adults, consenting adults that are participating in the festival? Honestly, it's giving 
maybe 18 and up. I could be wrong. At least I would hope it's 18 and up because especially the fact that there was alcohol involved in the past. Oh, well, they're probably at least 16. Yeah, I would not be putting my kid in that sort of predicament. But yeah, so that was just one little piece of anecdotal evidence of Krampus being alive and well today. Um, So back into the story, the role of Krampus in Christmas lore extends beyond the mere fright. He serves as a moral enforcer, punishing children who may have misbehaved throughout the year. This darker aspect of holiday narrative reflects the ancient practice of using myths and legends as a means of imparting societal values. Krampus, with his menacing presence, encourages children to be well-behaved and to embrace the spirit of giving and kindness associated with the Christmas season. In recent years, Krampus has experienced a resurgence in popularity, transcending regional origins and becoming a global badass basically he's popped up all over in pop culture most notably to me is the classic 2015 horror film Krampus starring (laughs) Tony Collette and Adam Scott honestly it's a fun horror film you need to watch it I love the ending it was polarizing but I personally loved it I don't know what that means about me but I loved it Definitely recommend, Um, but I'm going to wrap this up. Um, In conclusion, Krampus, with his origins deeply embedded in Central European folklore, he represents a fascinating blend of tradition, mythology, and morality. As a mythical figure associated with the darker side of the winter season, Krampus adds a layer of complexity to the otherwise joyous and festive Christmas celebrations. While the benevolent figure of Santa Claus rewards good behavior, Krampus serves as a reminder that... In the grand tapestry of holiday tradition, there is room for both light and shadow. He's like a twisted Pied Piper or something. Or he's like the Stranger Things upside down version of Santa. That's honestly great. Santa, please watch the movie. It's really good. I will. I believe I will. Because, I mean, Adam Scott's in it. Obviously, it's like a horror comedy. You can't take it too serious. It's just... It's a good roller coaster of fun. I will try to watch it before Christmas, but only thing about that is I've been rewatching Yellowstone, which one thing about me, I fucking love that show, Yellowstone. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Like cuz also one thing about me that probably everybody knows by now, I fucking love horses. Okay, I'm a horse girl. I'm very much like a Tina Belcher style horse girl that like has no equestrian experience but I just fucking love horses (laughs) and watching Yellowstone I'm just I watch it and sometimes I cry because I because like the shots are so beautiful of like the mountains and the horses running oh my god but Yeah. yeah I can't recommend that show enough but yeah I'm currently like deep in the shit with that well I need to watch it because one thing about me I am also an inexperienced horse girl Uh, My friend Amanda actually is a horse girl. Different Amanda. There's so many of us. My friend Amanda, Neon Wrangler, she's a horse girl. Like, she actually knows how to ride a horse. I don't know how to saddle them up and stuff like that. Like, I don't know all of that stuff. Like, no. How to, like, outfit them for the the ride. Like, I just... Right. I just know I'm on the horse and we're going. We're going. We need to seriously go horseback riding. I reckon... We are to plan that very soon because I can't believe it's already almost 2024. This is crazy. But on the topic yeah. of time flying by, Santa, what story has you shook this week? Not that you didn't already give it away. Well, if my tea mug with this winged creature did not give it away, if my shirt did not give it away, for those watching, I am doing Mothman. Ever heard of it? so excited yeah i bet y'all thought that i would never do a cryptid well i am so she's doing a cryptid so i wrote my story out this week normally i just kind of wing it and just tell the tale uh from my brain mostly but this one i was like i would like to do this story at least some justice (laughs) so i wrote it out i'm gonna preface this story with some information so One thing about Mothman that most people who have any kind of interest at all in Mothman knows is that 
it is very, very famously associated with the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. That being said, there are definitely other locations where there's Mothman sightings and lore that have gone back, you know, many, many years. In this instance, I'm going to be focusing on the Point Pleasant, West Virginia Mothman lore and also the other high strangeness of that area. I think maybe in future a future episode, I might get into some of the other Mothman sightings in other areas, but we're just going to, we're going to keep it focused on West Virginia. So Point Pleasant, West Virginia is a small town of less than 5,000 people. This is a town with a long history and families who have lived there for generations. The town itself is about three miles long, according to Denny Bellamy, who is the executive director of Mason County Tourism. The Ohio River runs from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Cairo, Illinois, and it separates Point Pleasant from its sister town, Gallipolis, Ohio. And that is a small town of around 4,000 people, which is often thought of as an extension of Point Pleasant. A lot of the Mothman sightings and the excitement around Mothman and other supernatural things kind of bleed into across the river from Point Pleasant as well. They're just very intertwined communities. So Point Pleasant began to be colonized by white settlers in 1774 after a battle with the native Shawnee and Mingo tribes in which the natives who were defending their homes were overtaken by a militia. Shawnee chieftain Cornstalk negotiated a treaty with the white men. Three years later, Cornstalk returned to the area for a diplomatic visit at Fort Randolph. When Cornstalk and his sons arrived, they were taken captive and killed by the soldiers, which is just really fucked up mm. and not fair. And if you're going to fight, fight fair. So after Cornstalk's murder, there was a long-standing rumor in the community that as Cornstalk was dying, he cursed the town for 200 years, like with his dying breath. Oh, dang. And due to this legend, the curse has sometimes been blamed for any tragedy or misfortune that befell the town. In the more recent past, an elementary school was torn down. They found a play from 1923 in which there is a scene where Cornstalk is dying and he curses the town in the play. So now a lot of people think that's where the rumor came from and like they don't believe it so much. But there was a point in time when people really were blaming this native chieftain for mm. <laughs> cursing the town because, right. you know, natives are constantly a scapegoat in a lot of stories for the bad things. Amityville Horror, for example, the natives of that area were the scapegoat for like the demonic activity that was allegedly going on, um, which later that was debunked, which I'll probably cover at some point in the future. But it was easy to believe that the town could be cursed in a way because of all of the unfortunate incidents that have occurred. So <clears throat> here's some of the unfortunate incidents that have occurred. It's not funny. <laughs> so just a few of the bad things that have happened in the area that would lead the townsfolk to believe that they are in fact cursed. Between the years 1913 and 1947, the Ohio River flooded severely and four different times... Mm, between the years 1913 and 1947, the Ohio River flooded severely four different times, killing many residents and causing thousands of dollars in damages. And then rumors of a strange bird man began to circulate around 1914, with the creature being described as a large bird with the head of a man and a wingspan of at least a dozen feet. These sightings continued well into the 1940s and were considered to be an omen before a tragic event. So basically, in the early 1900s, there was already some strange sightings being reported for a bird-like figure that also had the shape of a man. And then also, of course, you may be familiar with the Flatwoods monster as well. That's, that's another cryptid out of West Virginia that was originally reported in 1952, which we'll probably cover that one more closely in the future. 
but definitely in like the mid century is really when all of this started really ramping up in West Virginia and probably other parts of the country too. So in the midst of these Birdman and Flatwoods monster sightings happening in the mid-century, there were also reports of unexplained aerial phenomena that some think could be UFO sightings. Some of these sightings characteristics overlap with the Mothman sightings. Also, it is hard to say what the true cause actually is other than these are unexplained phenomena. Mm. For example... Merle Partridge, a resident of a town about an hour and a half from Point Pleasant, reported an abnormal and unexplained high-pitched crescendo sound emitted from his TV, and then his dog started freaking out about a disturbance outside. He said, as the shrill sound rose in pitch, the TV glass ultimately blew outward and glass was shattered all in the living room. Merle went outside to find the source of his dog's upset. The dog ran out into the field outside his house, and he started seeing two red lights circling around in the air over the field. Merle didn't think they looked like eyes. He actually thought it was a helicopter or something, but it wasn't making any kind of loud noise. The lights disappeared after a few minutes. Merle called for his dog to come back toward the house and then went back inside. His dog never returned back home from the field, and after searches, was never found, according to Mothman Museum founder Jeff Walmsley. What is now the McClintic Wildlife Management Area, which is known to locals as the TNT area, used to be a large-scale munitions facility that spanned over 8,000 acres called the West Virginia Ordnance Works. The facility operated from 1942 to 1945 and was abandoned after World War II. It then became a dumping ground for chemicals and toxic waste until the state took over for wildlife conservation, and now it's the McLintic Wildlife Management Area. In the 1960s, it was a popular hangout spot for teenagers. One of the most famous Mothman sightings occurred in this area on November 15, 1966. Steve and Mary Mallett and Roger and Linda Scarberry were out riding around late into the night in Roger's 57 Chevy Bel Air. While driving past the abandoned North Power Plant in the TNT area, they saw what looked like a seven-foot-tall man standing in the middle of the road. The figure was reportedly light gray in appearance and had wings that were folded against its back. As they got closer, the figure spread its wings and ran toward the power plant, in a very awkward manner. The figure reportedly hobbled through the grass and went into the power plant. So, mm-hmm. like, I guess he was, there ain't no telling. All, the, all these wings and he's out here hobbling? <laughs> I, I feel like because he's probably top heavy. He probably is. Needless to say, the two couples were shook. And even though they were worried that people might not believe them, they decided that they should report this incident to the police. As they were heading back toward Point Pleasant, they noticed that the figure seemed to be following them. According to Linda Scarberry, when they turned onto Route 62, they saw the creature standing near a billboard. It then spread its wings and started to fly. Then it flew right above their car as they drove Route 62 toward Point Pleasant. Roger drove about 100 miles per hour to try to outrun the creature. It never passed them, but it did keep up with them above the car Mm. for a pretty good ways. That's scary. The creature seemingly chased them all the way to the city limits, and once they reached Point Pleasant, they went straight to the police to give their reports. When these reports came out in the media, it caused quite a stir. Residents of Point Pleasant and surrounding areas flocked to the TNT area armed with guns to hunt this threatening creature. Mm-hmm. It's giving get out your pitchforks. Pitch yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many people showed up to hunt the Mothman that the National Guard had to step in to control the situation. There's uh-uh. too many people. 
Because mm-hmm. basically all these people were driving out to that area and like backing up the traffic. It was also very unsafe for everybody to be out there with them guns, just shooting at anything that like mm-hmm. might startle them. They might accidentally shoot another person. They were yes. being a little bit silly thinking that they needed to be the ones to do that. Just a regular yes. civilian. That's some vigilante shit. Vigilante justice. Point Pleasant edition. <laughs> So during this time, there were a number of reported sightings of UFOs as well throughout West Virginia and across the river in Gallipolis, Ohio. In addition to the UFO reports, there were also multiple reports of interactions with an alien who self-identified as Indrid Cold, specifically on Highway 77 in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Oh my God, Santa! Our listener Carlo has mentioned injured cold. He sent us an email about it, and I was like, I need to write that down for later. Okay, okay, we're on to something here. So I'm not going deep into injured code. <laughs> I'm not going deep into injured cold because I am trying to keep it focused. I would like to go back and talk about this incident more because the injured cold incidents are kind of iconic alien interactions that have been reported in history and I'm very interested like they call him the grinning man also because he's just got this really creepy gummy Mm. smile there were numerous reports of UFO sightings over the TNT area where the mothman was seen also so the TNT area is pretty much a hotbed for supernatural content the TNT area might just be West Virginia's hottest club (laughs) Because it does have everything. And honestly, people were going out there just for fun to see if they could see stuff like teenagers and stuff. So it really was West Virginia's hottest club. Reportedly, the night after that Mothman encounter by the Mallets and the Scarberries, a trio of Marcella Bennett, her brother Raymond Wamsley, and his wife Kathy ventured to the TNT area to visit Marcella and Raymond's sister. As they were about to get in the car to head back home from the visit, Raymond noticed a light in the sky and told Marcella to look. As Marcella was reaching for the door handle of the car, she saw a grayish figure with wings like a bird standing very close to her. She turned to run back toward her sister's house. She said she found herself within a foot from the creature as she was running back. She fell face down on top of her three-year-old daughter, Tina, who was, of course, scared and crying. It was a whole, a whole panic moment. So Raymond yelled for her to get up, and they went back inside the house. Marcella said that once they got inside, the creature was at the door hitting against it and trying to get in. Mm-hmm. Marcella was so shook by this that she was in a daze, and her siblings had to lay her down on the couch to calm down. Marcella said... I just couldn't grasp what I saw. I knew it was nothing of this earth. Mothman sightings continued to take place in Point Pleasant and neighboring areas. In Point Pleasant, he was most often spotted at the abandoned North Power Plant in the TNT area. In November 1966, there was yet another Mothman sighting at this location by a man named Bob Bosworth and his friend Al while out riding motorcycles in the TNT area one night. According to Bob, the moonlight was so bright that night that at one point they turned their headlights off on their motorcycles. They drove like that for a bit until they came upon the North Power Plant, where Al noticed two glowing red eyes on the roof of the building. They boldly decided to go investigate. Standing at the entrance, they saw the silhouette of the creature standing inside. From their vantage point, they were like down at the entrance and... They saw the creature kind of up in the rafters. I don't know if he was in the rafters or he was on like maybe the third floor or something. That's a creepy visual, whatever it is. Yeah, so he was like up there looking down at them. So standing at the entrance, they saw the silhouette of the creature standing inside, backlit by the light of the moon through the panels of the windows. And the windows are like huge, by the way. These are like these are like giant windows that take up most of the wall just kind of all around. So the moonlight was just like coming in beautifully mm. and perfectly enough to to silhouette him. 
at some point during this encounter, the creature ends up on the catwalk, up high on the catwalk, mm-hmm. and then he walks over to the edge, and then he drops into the air and flies away with heavy flapping wings. The Athens Messenger, a newspaper from across the river in Athens, Ohio, began covering these Mothman sightings thanks to reporter Mary Heyer, who had a particular interest in covering stories in the realm of the unexplained. The whole month of November 1966 was filled with reports of Mothman sightings, and as curiosity and excitement grew about this creature, people began flocking to the area to try to catch a glimpse of the Mothman for themselves. So there are a number of different interpretations by residents of Point Pleasant as to like what the Mothman really is, what his intentions are, whether he's good or bad, what he comes from. There's just different people have different ideas about him. Mm -hmm. And some people have like a more sympathetic view of him. Um, Like Linda Scarberry, for example, she claimed to have seen the Mothman a total of 18 times since the initial sighting with the mallets. She said she even saw it lurking outside her home one night. She said that she picked up on a sad energy from the creature as if he wanted to communicate. And if that were the case, if that were the case, then all the times that he's like chasing these cars, it's like maybe we had it all wrong. He wasn't chasing the car to be like intimidating. He was just trying to like see some people. I want to be where the people are. But (laughs) yeah, I don't know that I lean towards that personally but i'm conflicted because 18 times is like it's giving stage five clinger behavior if he's gonna come 18 times yeah it kind of feels like if she actually saw him that many times and even at her own home outside of the tnt area where he was usually spotted yeah that kind of speaks to some other kind of intention and maybe not even stage five clinger but just them being like the first ones to really see him mm-hmm. and the first ones to really describe it to people. Yeah. And it's like, maybe he's nostalgic. He's nostalgic for old times <laughs> when he chased him back into Point Pleasant and scared the <laughs> shit out of him. Oh, guys, wasn't this so much fun? <laughs> he was like, I had fun. What about y'all? He wanted to do it again. Um, in some of the reports, like Marcella Bennett's, the creature was described as not being of this earth. The numerous UFO sightings around this time could be correlated to all of these Mothman appearances because the glowing red eyes are sometimes described similarly to being like lights in the sky. Yeah. But also like physically, it doesn't seem like a physical possibility for eyes to actually emit light like that actually fun fact so when bob bosworth and his bestie al were at the north power plant and they saw the mothman when they saw him silhouetted they did not see his red eyes and bob actually said that he thinks that's because you have to have like light hitting the mothman's eyes in order to see the red yeah that makes sense Which physically, that makes sense. That actually makes sense. So then if that's the case, then the glowing red lights that people are seeing would have to be something else. And then that Mm -hmm. would kind of debunk the Mothman being a UFO correlated creature, I feel like, maybe. That's very interesting. Another interpretation of the Mothman's intentions comes from eyewitness Lawrence Gray, who is of the opinion that Mothman is an evil or demonic entity. One night at 3 a.m., the Mothman appeared in his bedroom. The creature stood there until Lawrence started to pray. And at that point, it dissolved in front of him. And so that's why he thinks that it's an evil or demonic entity, because it seems like prayer and rebuking it makes it go away in his in his experience that's terrifying and then there's even a scientific there was an attempt at a scientific 
explanation for this creature. A West Virginia University zoology department faculty member hypothesized that there is a scientific explanation for these sightings and that they are the result of a sandhill crane, which is a, it's a large bird, but doesn't look anything like Mothman um, or what we would think Mothman would look like or another large bird migrating through the area and drinking chemicals in the water in the TNT area, <gasps> resulting in unusual mutations. So that's not a bad theory. Oh yeah. Uh, as far as like mutations as a result of that, but also like, I don't know about the sandhill crane though. Cause like if you see, I'm going to put in the video version what that, bird looks like and that bird it's almost like it's kind of close to the size of an ostrich and it has a long neck like that too and the thing about mothman is he's usually described as having a pretty stunted neck almost like an owl yeah i just pulled up a sandhill crane that's not it there's a different bird that i've seen attributed to him but i can't think of what it is uh stygian owl stygian owl oh that's not what I was thinking, but yeah, I mean, he does look like an owl to me in like a lot really of the, the illustrations I've seen and the, just the descriptions that people have said make him sound like an owl. Another thing that's kind of interesting to me is that a lot of these eyewitness accounts of Mothman describe him as being grayish, but in every like illustrative interpretation I've seen of Mothman, he's black. Yeah. Back to the eyewitness reports. Reports on November 26, 1966, detail seeing four large birds sitting in a tree for a lengthy amount of time. Two different people reported this particular sighting. Um, and that suggests that the Mothman is not a one-off creature. Like, we kind of tend to talk about the Mothman, like he's this one and only. Mm -hmm. um, but this suggests that there might be more mothmen or women even, and maybe they might reproduce. Hmm. And the birds were described as being four to five feet tall with a 10 foot wingspan. And mothman is often described as having the 10 to 12 foot wingspan and being anywhere from four to five feet tall to like seven feet tall, something like that. So most of these November 1966 sightings occurred at night. But the sightings I just described of the four possible mothmen sitting in the tree occurred during the daytime. And then on November 27th, 1966, Connie Carpenter, who was about like 18 or 19 at the time, she saw the mothman in broad daylight on her way home from church. When she saw him, he saw her and then began to fixate on her car and then he started doing like similarly to what he did with the mallets and the scarberries and was chasing the car basically. And then there was a point in time where he gets really like in her face kind of like through the window and they like make eye contact. And she said in regards to his big red eyes, once they were fixed on me, I couldn't take my own eyes off of them. IDK if this is related or not, but soon after, Connie was diagnosed with Clieg conjunctivitis, which resulted in her having severely red eyes. There was lots of itching and watering going on. Like she just had really red eyes. It looked like she had pink eyes. Oh, no. And so that's kind of crazy. And in... I can't believe I haven't even mentioned this ghost book in the book, The Mothman Prophecies by John A. Keel. He kind of speaks further about that Clieg conjunctivitis thing. He said that that is a common thing that he has seen in his UFO research. Like when someone spots like the bright lights of a UFO and like they actually lock eyes with it the light does something to like pierce their eyes in a way that can cause them to end up with that condition. He has personally talked to different people who claim to have seen UFOs who also 
fell ill with the cleid conjunctivitis shortly after that the is crazy sighting. i did not even know about this that's insane yeah. they call it ufo blindness <gasps> oh my god and how poetic for her to get red eyes after locking eyes with another red-eyed being i mean that's crazy and you want to know what's even crazier what so connie happens to be the niece of Athens Messenger reporter Mary Heyer, who famously had a column called Where the Waters Mingle, where she would always detail UFO sightings, Mothman sightings, and pretty much any bit of high strangeness that ever got reported. She had her finger on the pulse in that column. And Mary Heyer is famously uh, very close with the author John Keel, who wrote The Mothman Prophecies. Mm -hmm. And they actually did a lot of work together investigating the Mothman occurrences, the UFO occurrences, and yeah. So the way that John Keel, the author of The Mothman Prophecies, gets involved in all of this to begin with is that he, from up in New York where he lived, was also getting the news of all the goings-on in Point Pleasant. And he was already, like, very into UFO stuff. And so when he started getting the news, he was like, ooh, I believe I'm going to go down there and see this for myself. I believe that. And so he he didn't waste any time. He went down there real quick and connected with Mary Heyer because she was the main person that was actually, like, reporting on this stuff. A lot of the newspapers were kind of scared to report on this stuff because – they didn't think it was serious or they wanted to be taken seriously. So a lot of reporters that wanted to report on it were told by their papers, no, we're not running that. But Mary Heyer, she was able to do it. And that's really awesome that her newspaper gave her the freedom to do that in her column. These investigations led to John Keel writing his best-selling novel, The Mothman Prophecies. There was also another writer named Gray Barker who was heavily investigating all of this at the time too. Only difference is he wrote a novel, whereas John Keel's was more like factual. Mm-hmm. But but Gray Barker's novel, The Silver Bridge, was based on true events, inspired by true events. <laughs> um, so amidst increasing reports of lights in the sky and the Mothman creature, some people claimed to have unsettling encounters with strange men in black suits. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John Keel even described being messed with. He told Mary Heyer in correspondences that his phone calls were being monitored, and he always sensed that someone was following him. And his mail was getting intercepted as well. Oh, no, no. That's a felony. That's a criminal mm-hmm. offense. In a nearby town, a man named Tad Jones was on his way to his appliance store for work when he witnessed a UFO land on Interstate 64 around 9 a.m. The next morning, he discovers a note on his doorstep that says, We know what you've seen, and we know that you've talked. You better keep your mouth shut. Ooh, mm-hmm. I don't like that. I I sort of think, like, I, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but I sort of think that, like, this West Virginia maybe entirely, or at least the TNT area, and maybe it all comes from the TNT area, but I feel like there's something about the hotbed of that area, and maybe geographically where the state is. I don't know, because there's reports throughout the state of different things. It's it's just like, is West Virginia like this portal in and of itself? You know what I mean? Is it just like the hell mouth? I love a good portal theory. Honestly, I think you might be onto something. I personally don't really see the the connection between Mothman and the UFO stuff, but I feel like they were simul- simultaneously happening around the same time. So they get connected, but I just feel like maybe it's because, yeah, the portal stuff. I don't know. And also because, like, I play Fallout 76, you know. I'm never going to stop talking about Fallout 76. But this video game is, like, literally, it's like a perfect replication of West Virginia. 
and it has all these towns. Like it has Point Pleasant. It has Charleston. It has Morgantown. It has Grafton. It has it has all of these different areas where all of these different cryptids have been reported coming from. It even has some of these locations that I mentioned in this story, replicated versions of that. They did a great job of like including all of this mm-hmm. and making it make sense. And of course, when you play the video game, it feels like you are in a portal. Other people encounter strange men in dark suits who claim to work for the government, asking questions and applying pressure to eyewitnesses of supposed UFO activity. Mary Heyer even receives a visit from these men. In January of 1967, while working late in her Point Pleasant office. So, one thing about Mary Heyer, so she worked, she reported for the Athens Messenger, which is an Ohio newspaper right across the river, but her office was in Point Pleasant. So, she, I, I love how she just had all this freedom. Like, she was, because she lived in Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. So, she was allowed to just like do all of her work there and not have to commute across the river, which is really right. Like, I love that for her. Yeah. She had a real, she had a real good setup. Like I envy her setup. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So these men in black showed up while she was working late. So I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I assume that she was in there by herself burning the midnight oil. Anybody else would have been startled, but, from everything I've read, she sounds like a real badass. I don't think she was scared at all, um, by the way, <laughs> this dialogue seems to go. So they asked her a bunch of questions about all of the strange sightings that have been going on and everything that she reported on all the time. One of the things that they asked her was, what would you do if someone did order you to stop writing about the flying saucers? <gasps> And Mary said, I'd tell him to go to hell. <laughs> she was not scared at all Listen, of these people. I don't know this woman, but I desperately love this woman. <laughs> yeah, I desperately love her too. She's such a fucking badass. Like, I would have been scared shitless if I was, like, let's say I'm in the stew. Well, first of all, this is my home and not like a public office, but like, Let's say I'm burning the midnight oil in the stew, which I'll probably be doing tomorrow night. Um, and these two men knock on my door in the night to ask me to like stop making this podcast because I'm 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 do I'm saying too much. You know, too I much. would be yep. scared to death. I'd be like, well, I guess we're canceling the podcast. Like <laughs> the Men in Black came to just get forget me. It's it. time to pull the plug. <laughs> yeah, just forget yeah, it. Just forget it. I guess. Um, but no, she was like, go to hell. And (laughs) we love that. So all throughout 1967, there were numerous reports of UFOs and men in black and less of a focus on the Mothman. Um, the Mothman was still there in the periphery with, there were reports still, but it was like all about the UFOs and all about the men in black. Like that was the hysteria. Um, and In November 1967, a year after the initial sightings by the Mallets and the Scarberries, he reappeared, and the flood of eyewitness reports of Mothman started back up. These reports continued steadily until December 15th, 1967, the day of the Silver Bridge collapse. Built in 1928, the bridge stood strong for 40 years, connecting Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to Canaga, Ohio, providing a convenient commute between states. The bridge collapsed around 5 p.m. that day. There were a lot of semis on the bridge and bumper-to-bumper traffic. Plus, the street light was out that night, slowing everything down. Jeff Walmsley, founder of the Mothman Museum, emphasized that this happened on a Friday, most likely a payday for many of those people. And a lot of those people were out doing their last minute Christmas shopping and going to Christmas parties. I think everybody was just trying to have a good night that night, you know, Um, just a big day for being out and about, essentially. One of the busiest days of the year for them, I'm sure. 
So when the bridge collapsed, of course, all of these cars were dropped into the river. Then the rest of the bridge fell on top of the water, causing even more impact. This, like, scared me to death. It's like Titanic or something. Like, yeah. It's terrifying to think of the fear as the bridge starts to give out, then dropping into the freezing water, trying to escape the sinking car, only for the rest of the bridge to crash down on top of you. Like, final destination (sighs) shit right there. Like, what in the world? It really is. And Jeff Wamsley said that he knows of a woman who, at the time, was pregnant with twins And she was one of the last cars to approach the bridge. And she got up to the bridge right as it was falling. So she didn't, she didn't get hurt at all, but she was seconds away from going down with them. Like it's so fucked up. Ugh. How many people died? So the statistics of this horrible disaster is that ultimately 31 cars fell into the river, killing 46 people and injuring nine. And that's according to the big plaque that they have in Point Pleasant, like explaining the Silver Bridge collapse and commemorating. So following the Silver Bridge collapse, the community's focus shifted away from the supernatural to an extent. Mary Heyer, who kept the reports of high strangeness alive, passed away in 1970. Five years later, her friend John Keel released The Mothman Prophecies, which became a bestseller and was adapted into a movie and released in 2002. The year of the movie's release, Jeff Wamsley and Carolyn Harris created the Mothman Festival. And in 2005, Jeff Wamsley opened the Mothman Museum, both located in Point Pleasant. And that's pretty much all of my story but I say all that to say, like, we stand Jeff Wamsley. Like, Jeff Wamsley really has done an excellent job of just curating everything he possibly can that supports the history of the town as well as the Mothman connection to the town. And I so badly want to go to Point Pleasant and visit his museum. And I want to go to the TNT area, matter of fact. And also... Let's just go to the Mothman Festival. We are to go. <laughs> we are to go. <laughs> Let's Santa. just go. Come on. Santa, you did a great job with that. That's impressive. I, I've been too scared to even attempt doing Mothman because it's such a big undertaking and well-known story. Mm-hmm. But you told me details that I didn't know about like the conjunctivitis thing I don't think I had ever read anything about that I didn't know the stats about the bridge I mean I knew it was a tragedy but I didn't know exactly how many people lost their lives lord that was awful well I'm gonna tell you right now my sources for this are very much to thank for me having all of this so I don't know if you follow them on Instagram, but I do. There's a production company. They're called Small Town Monsters. Yeah, I'm familiar. And they produced an excellent documentary called The Mothman of Point Pleasant, and it's on Amazon Prime. And it was released in 2017, and it holds up like it was just released yesterday. It's really, really well put together. It details so many more of The Mothman sightings than I actually got into like there were hundreds of reports of Mothman sightings in he's got to be real from 1966 through 1977 and beyond like it's just so many well you killed that story Santa thank you Hunt no that was really good and I hope you do decide to do more cryptos in the future actually our listener April um, the one who said the story about Leroy she was like please please do another cryptid story ASAP. And I was like, don't you worry. It's coming. It just won't be me. ASAP. But anyways, I guess on that note, that is our show. Happy holidays. Happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy whatever it is you celebrate. Honestly, Uh, Festivus for the rest of us. Am I right? Hopefully can spend time with friends or family or both. And if you're not celebrating, 
then you know what you can do? You can go get Chinese because they're open. I love Chinese food so much. Oh, my God. Well, I guess that's our show. So see y'all next year. Stay shook. Thank you so much for tuning into Shook. New episodes of Shook drop every other Wednesday on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you love to listen to your favorite podcasts. For more information on today's episode, please check out our show notes. And until next time, stay shook. Do you have a personal paranormal encounter you'd like to share with us? If so, visit our website, shookpodcast.com, and fill out our contact form. Or send us an email at shookparanormalpod at gmail.com. And one last thing, friends. Shook is a 100% independently produced podcast. So please consider supporting our show by either leaving a review or contributing to our Patreon page. You can find that at patreon.com slash shookpodcast.